Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 26, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Ben, you're, ready, you're getting ready to leave on a trip. Are you ready? Uh, no, not even close. I have so much work to do still today and uh, a lot of prep packing and all sorts of stuff to do tonight. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. <laughs> well, well, before that, let's do the podcast. Let's start with the new story that hit after we recorded the podcast yesterday. Actually, it, recorded, it hit yesterday, late yesterday night, and that is that Marvel head Kevin Feige is developing a new Star Wars movie. Uh, this is kind of shocking because uh, no one, no one expected this news. Uh, it was confirmed by Hollywood Reporter who contacted Disney. Uh, we don't really know much about it. They have a quote from the chairman and uh, chief creative officer, Alan Horn, who basically says that they're excited at the prospect of working with Kevin because he's such a big fan of Star Wars. Uh, I think one of the reports said that Feige even has some actor he wants to lead this this film uh but aside from that we don't know much i will say that you know when kathleen kennedy's contract was going to be up uh a year ago or something uh there was a lot of rumors that kevin feige was gonna take on the role as the head of lucasfilm and i even asked him in an interview if that was true and he said no and I said, are you interested in making Star Wars movies? He said, uh, only in my backyard or something with the, my toys. Um, so that was him back then being coy. Uh, but apparently he does have an interest in making Star Wars films. And I've I've talked to Kevin Feige on and off the record many times. And he's a huge Star Wars fanatic. Some of the times I've interviewed him, he's had like Han Solo and Carbonite socks on. And like, you know, he's just like that kind of uh, Star Wars nerd. And uh, it was Star Wars is actually his first love before he actually found his way into like loving Marvel and becoming that guy that created the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, so I'm interested to see what he's going to do in this universe. Now that, you know, the, 
the Skywalker saga is coming to an end. But, uh, Ben, do you have any idea? Like, what do you think Feige is going to bring to the Star Wars galaxy? I'm curious about this because I'm wondering if this is going to be his opportunity to tell a standalone story. Like, if this is him sort of um, shrugging off the shackles, the self-imposed shackles uh, that he's put on himself with, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and just telling like a singular story, if that's something that he's actually interested in, because he spent the past, what, decade plus, um, you know, linking all of these things together. And that's got to get exhausting after a certain point. And for him to be such a huge fan of Star Wars and and like he said, you know, playing in the backyard with his action figures, even as a kid, I wonder if he's cooked up his own like self-contained type <laughs> of story here or if this is going to be, you know, something else that has larger implications for the rest of the Star Wars universe. Well, I know he's a big fan of the original trilogy and that era of Star Wars. Uh, you know, he's been highly influenced by Star Wars in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Infinity Saga. Uh, he's even mentioned a few few times, like, what has the influence have been. And even, like, they did that 10 years of Marvel Studios' 10th anniversary, and that was highly inspired by the Star Wars uh, first 10 years. Uh, he, he, he even claimed he stole the name from that. Uh, but I do wonder, like, you know... Lucasfilm, Disney, and Kathleen Kennedy have kind of taken a step back in their approach to Star Wars. They were going to do, you know, a saga film every other year and uh, every other year a standalone Star Wars story film. And now they've kind of, you know, shut the lid on the Star Wars stories for now. And, uh, you know, they've announced, what, two trilogies (laughs) that are in the works and an Obi-Wan film. So I guess the standalone stories aren't closed off because there is an Obi-Wan film, but that's kind of a prequel sequel well and, and obi-wan series or series yeah sorry series uh it was originally rumored to be a film uh but I'm, I'm wondering like do you bring someone like kevin feige in even if he's the one that approaches lucasfilm and disney about this star wars idea do, does he get involved for a standalone film or is it or do you want to bring someone like feige in to create a universe of kind some kind what, what do you think, think brad uh, you know, I think maybe the best thing for Feige to do, because since Star Wars is already its own connected universe, is to let Feige craft a story around a character that maybe he created and wants to see injected into the Star Wars universe. Because along with this story was word that he already had an actor in mind that he had talked to about starring in this movie if it moves forward. Which to me sounds like he already has this character fleshed out and knows what he wants to do with so maybe we're looking at you know what could essentially be the like uh, a marvel franchise if you will within the star wars universe where we focus on a single character and follow their journey as opposed to an ensemble of characters it'll be interesting to find out what what comes of this and also like you know there's no real word on how long kathleen kennedy signed on uh, to re-extend her contract. Uh, some people have speculated that she just wanted to stay on to end this trilogy. Um, maybe Feige could be, would be interested in, in taking on the challenge of Star Wars. You know, I feel like he's accomplished so much with Marvel and there's almost like no more sky above, you know, where he hit with Endgame. Like, it, I feel like Star Wars is his longtime love and, Maybe that is a place that, you know, now especially it's in a more rockier state than it has been in, in years. Maybe that poses more of a challenge. Do you, do either of you think that he could be 
eyeing a space to replace Kathleen Kennedy? Hmm. That is interesting. I hmm. I mean, her, <laughs> con- her her contract got extended three years, right? Oh, was so it three years? I th- I thought so. Yeah. Isn't that what what it was back last last fall? I think it was she got extended for three years, so she'll at least be over there until twenty twenty one. The one thing, Peter, about this that I, you know, that we haven't talked about yet is that Feige being involved and producing a Star Wars movie just goes to show you that Sony's claim that he was too busy to produce another Spider-Man movie is total bullshit. Well, maybe he was too busy because he was producing a Star Wars movie. I mean, I guess (laughs) maybe they knew about that already, but uh, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. It, It just seems like... You know, especially just from a producing standpoint, like he we don't know the full length of or the full um, um, involvement that he's going to have with this thing. He could just be, you know, guiding it from afar. We don't really know. But he he does have a lot on his plate. But it seems like, you know, he's done a well enough, you know, better than anybody else. He's done the job of being able to to keep a lot of plates spinning. So I feel like if he wanted to make another Spider-Man movie, he could have. And that was just Sony sort of trying to deflect the blame there. Yeah. I'm whatever it is. I'm really interested to see what the future lies for Kevin Feige and especially the Star Wars project. Uh, but let's talk about Marvel's Ghost Rider. This was going to be a TV series that was going to be at Hulu, and now it is dead. Brad, what do we know? Yes, Ghost Rider is dead. No more walking the earth with a flaming skull. Uh, the series was set to go to Hulu. Uh, it was supposed to be the next project that kind of continues. The story of the character as uh, he was introduced in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is the Robbie Reyes version of Ghost Rider, the fifth incarnation of uh, a, a character who has been uh, essentially cursed with these uh, these powers of turning into this uh, demon of sorts, a flaming skull that rides around on a motorcycle. Uh, and Gabriel Luna was reprising his role. Uh, in case you don't remember who he is, he's playing the new black goopy Terminator in Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, but now the series is dead, so he won't be continuing that at all. Uh, it sounds like this is due to creative differences between Hulu and Marvel Television with regards to uh, what either of them wanted. Of course, that's something that is said a lot of times when they don't want to be fully honest about <laughs> what actually happened behind the scenes. So it could be something much more complicated. Uh, you know, there's always the chance maybe Marvel Studios decided they wanted to use Ghost Rider elsewhere in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at some point, and the series didn't really seem like something they wanted to to do uh, for Hulu. Well, but... it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because a couple days ago there was a rumor reported on some sites. It was something that we didn't write about because we have journalistic integrity, <laughs> but uh, that Kevin Feige, yeah, Kevin Feige wanted to make a Ghost Rider movie, and you know, two days later, this is canceled. So maybe, maybe there's some kind of truth to that. I don't know. It, it's it's possible. You never know with with this kind of thing. There's so many moving parts, and it's it's hard to say. But you know, uh, I'm not really a fan of Ghost Rider as a character. Um, I I really just don't see how he fits well into the. Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, at this point. So this isn't really a big loss for me. Yeah. I mean, I didn't watch him on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ghost Rider for me as a kid, I loved Ghost Rider. I loved Venom. But I think I loved both of those characters just because they looked cool and badass on the page. But they weren't really good characters and they weren't really good stories. So I don't know. Uh, I would be hesitant to see him brought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they are bringing in Blade. So, I mean, you do need to like kind of have that like 
darker, more adult side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So maybe that's where he would be used. I don't know. Uh, anyway, speaking of Venom, speaking of the Spider-Verse, a uh, new movie has been announced and is being written. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Sony is making a Madam Web movie that is set in Sony's Spider-Man universe. Now that uh, Spider-Man has been yanked out of the MCU, uh, Sony has you know Venom, they have Morbius coming up, and they've actually hired the writers behind Morbius, Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless, to write the screenplay for a film based on Madam Web, which is sort of a deep cut character in the the Spider-Man mythos. She uh, first appeared back in the comics in 1980. Um, she is usually depicted as an elderly blind woman suffering from, suffering from a chronic neuromuscular disease that makes it difficult to move and breathe. And as such, she's connected to a life support system that looks like a spider web. The clairvoyant character has precognitive abilities and once helped Spider-Man find a kidnap victim. So that's the, uh, mm. the sort of rundown of that character. I know Madam Web from the Spider-Man animated series, which we talked about not too long ago on the podcast. Uh, she, in that show, was sort of depicted as like this all-seeing interdimensional like chess player almost, like this person who's recruiting heroes for larger purposes throughout the galaxy. And, and she was able to like whisk Spider-Man away to using the astral plane to alternate dimensions. And she was very like... Um, I saw somebody compare her to like uh, the Oracle from the Matrix, and it's it's kind of like that, but but more um, like the Oracle mixed with the the uh, the ancient one or something like that. Um, so I, I, I'm totally shocked that Sony is interested in making an entire movie around Madam Web, who seems like a really frankly bizarre choice uh, for something that, you know, is so early on in their plans to build their own sort of version. And especially for this to be the announcement that comes out right after everybody has such a sour taste in their mouths about uh, Spider-Man leaving the MCU. Like, okay, if you don't want that, here's a Madam Web movie. Like, it's just a really <laughs> weird move. Yeah, I, I was a big reader of, like, the Ultimate Spider-Man comics uh, in the late 90s, I think. And I don't think I even remember Madam Web. Like, so maybe she didn't appear in, in those, or maybe she did at one point, and I just didn't read that that arc. But uh, it doesn't doesn't Madam Web have a museum of figures of celebrities made entirely of spider webs? <laughs> Boo! <laughs> That's almost as bad as one of Jacob's jokes. <laughs> uh, I think it was pretty good, so you can suck it. <laughs> uh, but I will say that, like, she d definitely doesn't seem like an A list or B list or even C list Spider Verse character to play with. I, I know that, you know, the Spider-Verse is big. They're doing stuff in the animated world. They're doing uh, – they're, they're making another animated movie. They're making spinoffs. They're making TV shows. They're, like, it, there's a lot in the works for the future of Spider-Man and Spider-Verse. But Madam Web just seems like such a low fruit there. I don't and, know. And especially for a movie. Like, I just – I'm – I would not have been, you know, as surprised if it was like, oh, it's a, a movie about, I don't know, like Black Cat and Silver Silver Stable, the characters that they were actually developing into a movie at, at one point uh, or setting up for a movie at one point. And Madame Web was going to be like a supporting character in that. Like, th sure, that makes sense to me. But in, an entire movie centered on Madame Web, like, how is that going to work? I don't know. Maybe maybe they think that they can do what DC is doing now and make like villain movies like Joker and shit. Hmm. Or, I don't know, I guess, like, the inter interdimensional aspect of it, like, maybe they're pushing that character so early in their ultimate plan for building out their universe, maybe they're 
pushing this character so early because they want to establish the the ability to jump between dimensions in the live action uh, realm and she would be a good guide to be able to do that and I, I don't know maybe there's some you know ambitious plan that they that we're not privy to right now that that we can't see you know but they have they have something in mind so I, I hope that that's what's going on here I feel like some of these projects get announced so early just so they can see what the fans are going to say about them to see if they actually care and if they think they should do it and then when all the fans are like, "Ugh, gross," they're like, "All right, never mind." Yeah. Brad, I, I think you're putting way too much faith in them in that they actually care what the fans think at all. So, That's true. But uh, okay, uh, but caring what the fans think brings us to our next story, and that is Jurassic World Three. Uh, fans were really not a fan of Jurassic World Two: Fallen Kingdom, and it sounds like for the third film. Uh, they're coming full circle and bringing back a lot of the fan favorites from the original trilogy. Brad, what do we know? That's right. Fans have asked, and they are getting it. Uh, Samuel Jackson, Wayne Knight, and whoever the actor is who played Robert Muldoon <laughs> are are all coming back for Jurassic World 3. <laughs> so get excited, guys. Wait, so, hey, didn't Samuel Jackson die? They all did. So yeah. my, when when my wife and I saw Jurassic Park at the Hollywood Bowl recently, I was talking to her, and and I don't think we actually saw Samuel L. Jackson's full body in the in that movie. We see his arm go over Laura Dern's uh, his severed arm go over Laura Dern's shoulder, but we never see him. So I've always sort of wondered, and I was sort of messing with her and and talking about this. Like, is he still alive? Like running around on that island somewhere? Like maybe he, you know, he was a tech guy. Maybe he could somehow fashion himself like a robot. Arm or something, so maybe uh, uh, Sam Jackson could come back. You know, I would love to, to for them to like go back to the to the main island again, and like it's all torched now from the volcano. But Samuel Jackson's still living there. He's got like 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 a caveman's Valentine beard and long hair, and he's just 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 surviving. He rides dinosaurs around and shit. See, I just imagine it being like an after credit scene, kind of like uh, in Solo, a Star Wars story, where like. You know the reveal of Darth Maul, so it like reveals like like a, cyber, a cybernetic arm, and it like pans up, and you're like Samuel Jackson, and he's like, "Do you guys want to join the Avengers Initiative?" And I don't know. or he comes up to he comes up to Owen Gra- uh, Owen Grady, and he's like he's like, "You're not the only dinosaur trainer around." <laughs> okay. Uh, the, and the by funny- the way, Robert, the actor that played Robert Muldoon is Bob Peck. By the way, apologies to the Peck family for not knowing his name. The, fu- uh, but it, the but funny. No, the, I was going to say, the funny thing here is people that are listening to the podcast that don't read the site or keep track of movie news probably think that we've been actually talking about the story of these three people coming back for Jurassic (laughs) World 3 for the last five minutes. But that's not actually the story. Uh, Brad is kidding. The story is the the three uh, real fan favorite characters played by Laura Dern, Sam Neill, and Jeff Goldblum in the original Jurassic Park are all coming back for Jurassic World 3. Uh, we don't necessarily know the extent of their involvement or how big their role is. Uh, obviously, Jeff Goldblum was in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but nearly the entirety of his appearance uh, in the movie are two bookend sequences in a courtroom, and they showed almost all of that footage in the trailers leading up to it to entice people to go see the movie, thinking that Ian Malcolm well, you know, was back for a full Jurassic World movie. Uh, and so it, it's hard to say what their uh, roles will be in this, you know, movie now, especially now that dinosaurs are everywhere. You know, are they are they helping people hunt down the dinosaurs to recapture them to take them somewhere else? 
you know, will they just encounter them on their own? Have they maybe, you know, formed some kind of dinosaur sanctuary where they're taking care of them themselves? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say with, with what happened at the end of Fallen Kingdom. But, you know, fans are definitely excited to bring them back. But it, it's also kind of, I don't know, bittersweet because it kind of just goes to show you that no one really cares about any of the new characters <laughs> that have been introduced in Jurassic World so far after they have to bring all three of these people back. Well, I, I don't think that these guys are going to be back in a, like, leading capacity. I think that we're going to get a little bit more than what uh, Jeff Goldwyn did in the last film, is what I would predict. I, th- I think uh, Trevorrow said they'll be back in substantial roles, Sub- Yeah, I think is what he said, but I, I, I think guess that be, could mean anything. Yeah, I think it'll be substantial, but I still don't think they're going to be the lead characters, and I... I I can't imagine, you know, Jeff Goldblum kind of predicted that we were opening Pandora's box, and by the end of that movie, uh, you know, he was right. Uh, I can't imagine, I'm wondering what his stance on it is. Like, can you put the monster back in the box? Can you kill these dinosaurs? I feel like I, I don't imagine Laura Dern or Sam Neill's characters being on the side of, like, let's go out and hunt the dinosaurs. Well, I don't think they would be hunting them necessarily. But maybe just maybe like tracking them down so they can get them to a safer place instead ah. of just yeah not not like going to kill them wrangling yeah wrangling, yeah okay let's move on to a, another story that broke yesterday that was kind of interesting and that is they are remaking Clue and Jason Bateman is directing and has an interesting person starring Ben what do we know. Yeah, so actually last year we learned that Ryan Reynolds was interested in uh, doing a a remake of Clue, which is the adaptation of the murder mystery board game. And uh, now we know that Jason Bateman is in talks to direct this thing. So Bateman actually just won an Emmy this past Sunday night for his work directing an episode of season two of Ozark. And now he seems to have found his next directing gig in the Clue remake. And he actually, according to a report from Deadline, is uh, planning to star in the movie as well. But it's it's still early you know, in that process, or he's not 100% sure if he's actually going to be in the movie. We know that uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who wrote Zombieland and Deadpool, uh, were initially hired to write the screenplay for this new clue, but it's unclear if they're still on board because the deadline report says that Bateman is going to be developing the script with Reynolds, and I'm not sure if that means that they're actually just going to be taking over and, and trying to take a crack at writing the script together. Um, Bateman doesn't have any official writing credits, but Ryan Reynolds co-wrote Deadpool 2 last year. So, uh, yeah, the old change-up buddies are back. Uh, as Brad <laughs> pointed out, um, the, the <laughs> Bateman and Reynolds co-starred in the 2011 comedy The Change-Up, which, Brad, did you ever see that movie? I did, and it's fine. You know, uh, it, it's amusing to see have Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman uh, doing a body swap comedy, but neither of them really has any, you know, significant traits that you can uh, do as an actor to really, really like get into the role in the same way that like Travolta and Cage did in such a bombastic way in Face Off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just, it's more so just about you know the the comedy of just them trying to live each other's lives. Gotcha, gotcha. L- let's talk about Clue for a minute because I think you know I'm a big fan of board games and Clue, the the original film adaptation. I think is probably the only good board game adaptation on on in, in cinema at this point. Uh, not that there is a whole lot, but you know Hollywood Hollywood has been trying. Uh, ben, are you a big fan of Clue? Because I know you love like kind of the murder mysteries, and there's a lot of fun there. 
Yeah, I love Clue. I love the yes, the the board game and the 1985 movie that stars Tim Curry, and it has such a perfect cast. I I love that movie so much, and so any talk of a remake, I'm I'm automatically a little sort of leery about, but. Uh, you know, the original is still going to be there. So I just hope that they're able to come up with something that is, you know, as clever as what they did with the first movie. And and maybe they can fill it out with a cast of today's great comedy performers and maybe be able to come close to capturing the magic or maybe a different type of magic um, as what that 85 film produced. And, and I know you and me are the only two people on staff that had has watched Ozark, which uh, Jason Bateman directed i uh, i liked it i think a little bit more than you but i i still you know was let down by last season uh but i do think bateman has talent and i do think he's good with comedic actors and i do see uh this this does seem like it would be good for him i'm wondering what your thoughts are after you know abandoning hmm. ozark season two yeah i gave up about halfway through but uh, i i have seen a couple of the episodes that he directed and he seemed you know very sure of himself and like a he fit into that world very well. And as an actor, he's been in a ton of really great comedies and has certainly, you know, witnessed uh, a lot of um, I, I would like to think that, you know, being in the industry as long as he has, he was a child actor at the beginning that he's absorbed enough uh, of how to, you know, create a great comedy that uh, maybe he's going to be a, a decent choice here. Um I think when we were talking about this yesterday, Brad pointed out Game Night and like, you know, it's going to be tough to top that movie, which he starred in. What was that last year? Um, but maybe I don't know, maybe that Game Night could could be an interesting sort of framework for how to approach this movie. Brad, what, what do you think of this team in a Clue uh, remake? Uh, it remains to be seen. Um, obviously, Jason Bateman has some skills as a director. Uh, at least the Television Academy thought so, since they just gave him an Emmy for directing an episode of Ozark last weekend. Uh, him and Ryan Reynolds are, are the very least very funny actors and funny funny together. So I'm hopeful. Um, I, I, like Ben said, I think it's going to be hard to top Game Night. Uh, and a big part of what made Game Night great, uh, uh, you know, was the the writing and directing duo behind that, uh, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. So hopefully, you know, Reynolds and Bateman working on this together, they can uh, come up with something that is at at least uh, hopefully as entertaining as the original Clue. But again, that's also a pretty high bar. By the way, the original Clue, which I didn't see in the theater, but uh, if you know, you've seen it on DVD or home video or on TV. It had like a bunch of different endings. And if you saw it in the theater, you only you got one of the the random endings on home video. You get all the endings like it kind of rewinds and shows you like the different possibilities. Um, I'm wondering if if this is going to be a remake and not just an adaptation of the board game, do you think they'll try to incorporate incorporate that in any way? I mean, now with technology, you could probably make a choice on a remote if this was like on home video, kind of like Bandersnatch and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you think like uh, they, they'll just not even think about that? That, I feel like that's such a key element to the way that that first movie worked, um, even though I think, you know, it, it didn't really do that great in theaters and really became more of a cult hit later, probably when most people could see all of those endings back to back to back. But it's so um, th- that concept is so tied to that movie. I, I would not be surprised if they actually did like a modern version of that where they literally put out you know, different versions of the film in different theaters across the country and did the exact same thing with this movie. Okay, let's move on to our final story for today. And they they had the uh, the Triple Force Friday reveals today. Brad, uh, what what did we learn today? 
Yeah, so the uh, they didn't reveal all of the stuff that's coming uh, on Triple Force Friday, which is next week on October 4th. Uh, stores, some stores will be opening at midnight to release the first merchandise from Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, The Mandalorian, and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is a new video game from EA coming out in November. And uh, while the toys themselves are were cool, they showed off some of the Funko Pops and Black Series figures, as well as uh, some animated figures from Galaxy of Adventures uh, animated shorts that you can see on YouTube, as well as an interactive uh, droid of the new wheel droid Dio. Um, By the way, I, I need that. That interactive, like you can remote control it with like a phone or an iPad, and it looks like amazing. And it, yeah, it's it, pretty cool. And it seems like they're not using Sphero anymore. Like the first uh, two movies, Sphero made like the BB-8s and R2s, and this is made by Hasbro. Yeah, I imagine they probably wanted something that was maybe a li- little less expensive since Sphero products were uh, rather pricey. Yeah. Um, but the the toys look cool, and there was some uh, additional information about the movies that came uh, from the, the toy releases, just some little tidbits. Now, keep in mind, toys aren't always uh, indicative of details of, uh, that will be in the movie in an accurate sense. There's been plenty of times that toys... Uh, tied to a movie franchise don't really have anything to do with the plot or what really happens. Star Wars stuff is usually pretty uh, accurate since it comes directly from Lucasfilm and there's not a huge expansive history to pull from to make, you know, uh, alternate and variant figures of different characters um, like there is with Marvel Comics. Uh, So uh, one of the things that we saw was a new Y-Wing Lego set that comes with minifigures of Zori Bliss, which is Carrie Russell's uh, new helmeted character, as well as Poe Dameron and Dio. So it would seem uh, that there is that Zori Bliss maybe gets in behind the cockpit of a Y-wing. Uh, she was the minifigure that was situated in there. That's not nece- again not necessarily indicative that she'll end up flying it, but because she does have a history with Poe Dameron, as we've learned, there's a good chance that she might end up fighting for the Resistance before the end of Rise of Skywalker. Uh, and there was also this teal uh, astromech droid that was included that I don't, I don't believe we've uh, seen before. So that's pretty cool. And the Y-Wing has uh, a pretty cool paint job, too, uh, that does make it seem like it could belong to Zori. So maybe it's just a ship that she has regardless of whether or not she fights for the Resistance or not. Yeah. And then uh, there's a new uh, Lego Millennium Falcon set. Uh, they've done way too many of these <laughs> by now. And so this one uh, reverts back to the round satellite dish after the Falcon and Force Awakens had a more rectangular one. But since that got lost, they had to replace it. And that Lego set revealed another new character, uh, an, an alien character named Bulio, B-O-O-L-I-O. Uh, and there's been images that have leaked of this character online. He has kind of a, a lizard-like face, but with two big yellow horns on either side of the, the front part of his forehead and two smaller horns that come uh, out of his chin. Uh, he's kind of got like a pear-shaped body in this, uh, in a, like a dirty uh, pilot suit. Uh, so he comes with the Falcon. So that doesn't necessarily mean he is, you know, involved with anything happening on the Millennium Falcon because sometimes they just include extra minifigures with that set because it's such a big one. But there's also a chance that maybe he's part of Lando Calrissian's crew or something like that, because we don't know what Lando has been up to this whole time since Return of the Jedi. So maybe he's got some new cohorts that are uh, hanging out with him. Yeah, we also and, saw like some kind of like droid maker or something. Yeah, so there's a there's a new C-3PO Black Series figure, 
And uh, they show that the accessories he comes with include Chewbacca's bowcaster and his bandolier, which is that big strap that he always wears across his body. Uh, and we, we have we had seen promotional images that had leaked of him uh, holding that stuff, and we're not necessarily sure why he's holding on to all of Chewbacca's gear. But the other accessory he comes with is a very tiny little alien character guy named Babu Frick, who is uh, was only described as just a droid builder. Uh, we don't know anything more than that beyond that, but he, compared to the C-3PO figure, he's a very tiny guy, like maybe the size of like uh, half of his shin or something like that. And if I had to guess, I'm willing to bet it has something to do with the shot that we see with C-3PO having red eyes in the trailer. Uh, maybe it's something that needs to be fixed on 3PO. Maybe there's something in 3PO that he tries to access or something. But I imagine that's where that character comes into play. Yeah. Is there anything else? Uh, one little tidbit came for The Mandalorian. Uh, they had Pedro Pascal and Gina Carano on hand to check out the their Funko Pops and action figures for The Mandalorian. And we got to uh, learn a little bit of detail about Gina Carano's character, Cara Dune. Uh, she's, a, she's a former rebel shock trooper. And to kind of signify that, it looks like she has a uh, like a beauty mark style tattoo on her left cheek that uh, on first inspection would just look like a, a little mole, but it's actually a small black tattoo of the Rebel Alliance symbol. That's interesting. It is. Um, for Force Friday, are, are you planning on going to the stores to buy anything? I will probably go uh, at at midnight to whatever store is opening closest and first. I, I have the benefit, actually, of I, uh, where I live in Indiana. I live a half an hour away from the eastern time zone border. So if I drive a half an hour east, I can be an hour ahead. So I can go to stores over <laughs> there and, and, get, and get stuff. And then if I don't find something that I want, I can make it back to, back on Central Time before the stuff goes on sale and see if I can get wait, it there. Wait, wait a second, Brad. Did you just say that for Force Friday, you're time traveling to get what you what you need? Exactly. <laughs> that, that is incredible. Okay. Yeah. So I will. I'll probably. I, I will likely just get some of the Black Series figures from. Uh, I do want the Mandalorian ones and. Uh, I'll probably try to get my hands on some of the uh, Rise of Skywalker ones. If uh, they, have, they didn't release all of them, so I'm not sure if I ever really want all of them, but there'll probably be a couple that I want. Yeah, I'm curious what else is going to be out there. I'm, I'm going to probably check out Force Friday, although I think the only time I ever checked it out was the first, uh, the the one for the Force Awakens, and uh, the Funko the Funko Pops were decimated, as uh, our former writer Jermaine Lucier once wrote. Uh, so uh, you know everything was gone by the time I got there. So I'm I'm kind of curious if it's it's going to be the same case. Have they? You know, are they going to be more stocked in L.A.? I know you're you're in the middle. You know, you're in a better part of the country to get, you know, have access to stuff. Uh, But I'm curious to check it out. Anyways, uh, Ben, I'm assuming you're skipping. Well, you're going to be in Hawaii, right? I am. Yes. Yeah. So you're not going to be celebrating Force Friday in Hawaii. Uh, no, I, I am not. Unless yeah. unless you call Force Friday uh, sitting around on a beach and drinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you enjoy your vacation. And uh, this does it for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find links to all the stories we talked about on today's podcast in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, uh, peter at slash com, And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.